I'm going to be doing the scripture reading for today, reading from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And sorry, I'm reading from my phone. So, um, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, through I, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Theologian N.T. Wright tells a story about this woman in Africa that had started this small dressmaking business. And they had this beautiful fabric in her country, and it was so beautiful that she said, this must be made into something. So she hired a couple women to help her make dresses. She hired a man that would go into town and buy supplies and to go and sell the dresses once they were made. And the dresses became so popular that they had to hire a couple more women to begin making these dresses. And there's this one point where the women are gathered around and they're making these dresses that one of them says, you know what, these dresses are so beautiful and this material is so beautiful that it should be made into something else. We could make curtains, we could make covers for chairs. Why don't we make other things? And the owner of the place gets a big smile on her face and she leaves the room and she comes back with an envelope. And she hands the envelope to the woman who made the suggestion and she says to open it and read it out loud. And as this woman begins reading this out loud, that she sees that exactly what she just suggested was a plan that the owner had already written down, that it was already recorded. And the owner says, you know what, I've had this plan since the beginning. But I knew that if I told you this, like if we were going to make other things other than dresses, you would think I was just daydreaming. And that might cause you to daydream as well. So I've kept this hidden until the right time. And now it's being revealed. What Martha just read from Ephesians 1 through 13 is like God's open envelope. It is revealing a mystery that has been hidden for a long time. God has had this purpose, if you see this in the last verses, he's had this purpose all along from eternity. But now it is being revealed to all people. At the time of this writing, it might not seem possible for Paul to be able to reveal this, to reveal this mystery, because he is a prisoner. He starts in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner 
of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul was a prisoner at this point in his ministry. It's not just, uh, he really is a prisoner. And when he's writing Ephesians, he's writing it from prison. In fact, he wrote uh, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all from prison. And here you have a guy who by many is considered the greatest church planner who has ever lived. And he's doing all these awesome things, going to these other nations for God. And his one desire was to eventually go to Rome and bring the gospel to Rome. And when Paul finally gets to go to Rome, it's as a prisoner. He's locked away. That doesn't really seem fair, does it? I mean, poor Paul. But it says that he's a prisoner of Christ. And when it, when it says this, it's not as if Jesus arrested him, like Jesus is on the, uh, Paul's on this road to Damascus, and Jesus interrupts, makes him blind, Ananias trains him up to be a disciple, and then Jesus comes back later, puts him in chains, and arrests him. It's, it's not that way at all. I mean, obviously, Paul is a prisoner at the hands of Rome, of Emperor Nero, who had imprisoned him, who, who hated Christians and wanted to see them gone because of the Jews, because of this message that Paul was preaching. They wanted him locked away. So it's not literally as if Jesus had arrested him, but yet in some ways Paul looks at this and he says, it's as if Jesus has arrested me. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's recognizing God's sovereignty in that. That no matter what my circumstances are, that God is in control, and because I am in this situation, that, that it's okay because I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Even though my situation might look bad, it is okay. Really, it's just a changing of perspective for Paul. Being in Rome, it's not the way he wanted to. I'm sure he wanted to be a free man when he finally brought this gospel to Rome when the Spirit had prevented him. But he comes as a prisoner, and he still finds joy in that. And he still lets the gospel go out. I don't know about you, but I've been on the other end of the spectrum many times of my life where I have this plan and, and even, even if I'm going to do good things for the Lord, I'm saying, you know, just, just go with me, Lord, and, and help me do what you've called me to do. And if it doesn't look exactly like what I've called, I grumble. I kind of turn the other way, and I'm like, Lord, if you're not going to just make this easy on me and make this comfortable, then, then I'm not even going to share this gospel. I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. Paul does the exact opposite here. How can he do that? How can he be joyful as a prisoner for the Lord? and still let this gospel go out. It's because this good news is really good news for Paul. What he gets to share, it doesn't matter if he's a prisoner or not, because this mystery that is being unfolded, this good news has not only rocked his world, but he gets to go rock other people's world with this good news. That's why he can go out with joy. Even while he was a prisoner, he can still find joy joy in that. Think about that for a second. For Paul to find joy in this, this must be some really, really good news. The other night we were doing some GFG, GFCs, GFGs, I don't know. We don't call them GFGs or whatever it is. If you're in my group, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is completely lost at this point. Um, we're doing some training and Nate shared a quote from Jeff, Jeff Vanderstelt. He says, we won't share the gospel until it becomes good news for us. Man, and that's what Paul does. He's, he sees this good news, and it's such good news for him that he's going to share it no matter what his circumstances are. He's going to deliver this good news. 
And part of this good news is what Paul calls the mystery. This mystery is about to be revealed. Paul uses this mystery three times in this short paragraph. But what, what I want to uncover for you here is what they use in the Greek. The Greek word for mystery is slightly different than the way we use it in English. In the English, it is kind of like it is something very mysterious that, that is hidden, and you don't want it uncovered. You, you, you want it to be mystical. You want it to be a mystery. It's kind of like a magician who, who does a trick, and you're left sitting there like, how in the world did he do that trick? I mean, that seems impossible. It's almost like a little dark even, like, ooh, that freaks me out a little bit. I mean, that was kind of scary what he just did because it's hidden. You don't want that secret to be revealed. But in the Greek, the mystery is still a secret, but is no longer guarded in the same kind of way. Mystery means something. It's, it's no longer guarded in the same way. It is open. And in this case, this mystery that Paul is sharing, it's this, as if the magic trick has been revealed. It has been performed, and now, like, this is how the trick has been done. Last Christmas, um, my son Weston, who was six at the time, his favorite Christmas present was a magic set. You know, it came with, like, the top hat and the, the little wand thing, and it had all these little tricks to him. And he was so excited about this. Like, the day of Christmas, my family was coming over later that day. He got up really, really early, and he laid out all of his magic set stuff, and he popped in the DVD that's like the, to show you how to do these tricks. And he just sat there, and he would watch it, and then he would pause it and practice these tricks. And I'm thinking, okay, he's not going to, this isn't going to be much. I mean, this is a kid's toy magic set, and he just watched the DVD for like a couple hours. I'm not going to be amazed by anything that he does. And, he was going to perform for my whole family. So we made this big show, and my brother gets out this little boombox thing. Do we still call them boomboxes, by the way? I'm really old. I don't know what the kids call them these days anymore. But he gets out this little stereo system and plays uh, the final countdown. If you, if you know Arrested Development, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, -na 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 -na. and of course, Weston's not being like showy or anything. He's just doing the tricks. And everybody was like really surprised that as like in a toy magic set, that the toys, the, the, the tricks were actually really good. He did a great job with them. I was kind of like, what in the world? How did he do them? He's a six-year-old and it's making me wonder how in the world did he do that trick? But in this case, we didn't have to wait very long to figure out how it was done because Weston would say, here's how you do the trick. And he would show you exactly how the trick was done. And the reason why he did that is in the instructional DVD, it would say, okay, here's the trick. Now here's how it's done. So he thought like watching that DVD, that's how you be a magician. You reveal the secret of the trick, right? When you learn the secret of a magic trick, the trick isn't very mysterious anymore, is it? It's not a mystery, but the mystery that Paul delivers here, and this is quite amazing, I want you to hear this. When Paul reveals this mystery, it is more unbelievable than when it was a secret. This mystery that is revealed, like when it was a secret, now that it is revealed, it's even more amazing than when it was hidden. This mystery that he reveals, this good news for the Gentiles. That's why Paul repeats it three times. The gospel and this is it right here. The mystery is the gospel puts the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews. This had never been done in history before, but now the Gentiles are on equal footing with the Jews. 
Here's the mystery, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Nate covered it well last week when he said that, that Abram, um, God had gone to him and made this promise. And the promise was that I am going to make you into a great nation, which would be Israel. And I will bless you. And I will bless those who bless you. And you will be a blessing to the nation. So now, if you were an Israelite in this situation, you would hear this message and go, okay, okay, all those blessings are going to be for us. We are going to receive all of this, and out of our abundance of blessings, you know, maybe we'll go out and we'll bless some of the other nations out of our good riches and our promises that we get from God. This changes all of that. Changes all of it. Where, where the Israelites thought that they would be the only one blessed and they would go bless other peoples. And if you read the Old Testament, you see that they didn't bless the other nations and what God called them to. So he'd always be like, go bless the nations, go bless the nations, and they would continue to fail in that. But now it's saying that, you know what, these other nations that you were supposed to bless, they are being blessed in the exact same way that you are. They have all the promises, all of the blessings, all of the inheritance upon them. That's how I'm going to bless all of the nations. But now Paul, who is a Jew, by the way, says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're no longer just to be blessed by Israel. They receive the exact same blessing. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. These verses tell us so much about the change of God's people. You know, once it was Israel and everybody else, Israel got all the blessings and nobody else got anything. And this is a radical change. It's a racial change. There's neither Jew nor nor Greek. There's no more like Jews looking down their noses at the other nations and and the Gentiles and and the Greeks. No more of that. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There was a cultural change. Um, There was no more slave or free. There was no cultural hierarchy where, okay, you're underneath me. You are my slave. That's gone. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There was a sexual change. There is neither male nor female. No more of this women as second-class citizens. This was being, this was radical. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's now unity in the body of Christ. No matter what your background or your makeup, no matter what your, your race is, no matter what your sex is, no matter what your position is in the world, you are all equals. You're on equal footing all across the board. We are all one in Christ Jesus. What good news this must have been for the Galatian Christians, the Ephesian Christians. To be a slave in Galatia was to be treated like a piece of property and nothing more. To be a woman in that culture was disrespected and devalued. To be a Gentile received sneers and were looked down upon by the Jews. 
You know, if a Pharisee were to stand up and pray this prayer, he would say, Lord, thank you so much that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. Thank you that I am a man and not a woman. Thank you that I am free and not a slave. The Bible says no more. In the gospel, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are equal. This is good news. And Paul continues in Galatians 3 and verse 29. He says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul relates the Gentiles directly to Abraham's seed. It's like, you know, even though you're not coming from his bloodline, you're not coming from his seed, you are like a son. You are part of that lineage. There is oneness that exists between you and everyone else that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. A new people has been made where God once called Israel and saw that it was his people. Anyone who is in Christ, whether they are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, they are part of this new people that God is calling for himself, the church. How do you think this left the Jews feeling at this point? Always seeming like God's favorites. And now everybody else is included. This would be like if you were part of a family and you had like a rich grandfather or something and the rich grandfather was sick and he leaves you this, this inheritance and then you find out that this family across the tracks that didn't even know your family had never been there for family gatherings, had never taken care of this guy when he was old. I mean, what a burden that was. All of a sudden, these people that you don't even know that are on the other side of this tracks receive the exact same blessing, the exact same inheritance that you do. I mean, that would make you a little upset, right? Inheritance can get quite ugly. I mean, we've had that in our family where our grandparents who owned the Coachman's Inn back in the day, all of a sudden, you know, this, this inheritance comes into play and it just gets ugly between family members. We, we don't want to share. We don't like people to be generous unless it's to be generous with us. It reminds me of the prodigal son story, you know, where the one son goes away and he comes back and he receives equal blessing and equal inheritance as the older brother. And the older brother's like, I have been here all along. Why don't I get more? I don't understand why this guy who ran away and just blew everything that you gave him, why does he get the same blessing that I get? To address this issue, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew about a farmer who goes out and he hires people for the harvest. And he tells them, like, this is what you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid a denarius, which was generous in that day, to come and work for me for the day. And then as the day goes along, the farmer goes out and he gathers more workers, and some of them even in, like, the last hour to come and work. And then it's time to get paid for this, and everybody comes in and he starts handing out a denarius to the people who have been there for an hour, right? And the people that have been there all day are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They're getting a, a denarius. I'm going to get even more than that. And then they get paid, and they get paid exactly what they said they were going to get paid. They get one denarius, nothing more, nothing less. And they start to grumble, and they're like, wait a minute. These people didn't work as long as they, they just showed up an hour. Why are they getting the same thing that we get? And in the parable, it says, Now when those who hired first came, that they saw they would receive more, or they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius, and receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us, who have been borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. 
the workers looked at this like this was a slap in the face. I mean, how, how are they going to receive the same things that we did? And, and Jesus, of course, isn't um, just telling a parable for the parable's sake. This is towards the Jews who had been part of God's family, had been his children for so long. And now these Gentiles are just going to come in and they're going to receive equal inheritance to us, equal blessing. I mean, that's a, that's a slap in the face. Well, if they're going to do this, they better obey the law and they better be circumcised. They better be exactly like we are and look the same way that we do. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am doing something new in my church. I am making a new covenant. This is going to look different. And in this, you are all one in this new covenant. God is revealing his generosity to all nations. And this is good news for the Gentiles. But the Jews who are not in Christ didn't really like this. Um, what I love about like, when you read the prison letters or any of Paul's letters, when we have the book of Acts, you can just kind of go along and, and parallel and find out what's actually going on um, in the story. But if you look at Acts 21, Paul um, is um, going out and, and trying to reach the Gentiles. I'm going to paraphrase this beginning for you. Um, he goes out and he tries to reach the Gentiles, and the Jews are so upset by this. And in Acts 21, 28, they stand up and say, Men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, who are the Jews, and the law in this place, Jerusalem. Moreover, he has even brought Gentiles, or Greeks, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. If you understood the temple in that day, like there was different... Um, different places that you could go depending on who you were. And the Gentiles had to stay in this like outer room. They were not allowed in the temple at all. And then there was another room that just the women and children could go into. And then another room that was even closer to the Holy of Holies, being close to the presence of God, just the Jewish men could go. And then the priest could go a little bit further. And then even a little bit further, a certain set of priests. And then even a little bit further than that, the high priest. Like there was a hierarchy, depending on who you were, of how close you could come to God's presence. And of course, when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain is torn from top to bottom, signifying that it doesn't matter, that hierarchy thing is gone. It's no more. Anyone can come into my presence. You are all one in Jesus Christ. So they get all stirred up, and they stir up the crowd, and they're about to put Paul to death, and he's arrested by the Romans. Um, but before Paul goes into the barracks, he speaks to the people, and he speaks to them in their own Hebrew language. And this kind of makes them fall back a little bit because they're not expecting this out of Paul. Okay? He's speaking to them in their own Hebrew language. And then he tells them how he was a Jew, also shocking for them, how he was brought up in Jerusalem. He was educated by the Jews, taught the traditions of their fathers, and he was zealous for God. And Paul starts to get the attention of this crowd. Like, they're just drawing in and they're silent, listening to Paul's speech. Then he tells them how he persecuted Christians, put Christians in jail, and even murdered Christians. And now he really has their attention. I'm sure you could hear a pin drop at this point. But then he tells them how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and how everything changed at that, at that point. And when he goes to Jerusalem, the Lord speaks to him. In Acts 22, verse 18, he says, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This very word of Jesus that says, I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to bring this good word, this good news to all people, to all nations. And the Jews are so upset about it. We, we need to kill this man. You can understand the hostility that exists for that and, and how um, some Jews were just, just hoarding this treasure and these promises, this inheritance that God had given them and promised them. But Paul still goes out to the Gentiles. Paul says the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. They receive all the blessings, all the promises, all the inheritance, just like the Jews. For the first time in history, Jews and Gentiles are on equal footing. There is, is one nation under God. That sounds weird, being in America. Uh, Zach, erase that one from the clip, would you? So Paul gets this good news and he goes to the Gentiles. Can you imagine being like the illustration that I told earlier about like the kids over on the other side of the track? You've never had anything in your entire life. You've, you've always been poor. You've always looked at the people on the other side of the tracks and, and just imagine yourself having that kind of wealth and, and living with maybe a, a mom and a dad in that kind of situation. And all of a sudden this guy just comes over and he says, you know what? There's a rich guy over there on the other side of the tracks. He just passed away, and you receive everything, just like you're his son. I mean, that would be good news. That would be good news. It would, it would say, like, the, the end of, of poverty for me. I don't have to worry about where my meal's coming from anymore. I, can you imagine Christmas time? Think about how different that's going to be for my family now. I mean, that was, that was good news. And this is what Paul gets to do. This is the thing about the gospel. Not only did the gospel rock Paul's world, but now he gets to go out and bring this good news to a people that had been outside of that blessing, who had been spiritually poor their whole lives, who had been outside of God's people. And he gets to bring this good news and say, you are included in this. You are part of this inheritance. You are part of this blessing. You are part of this promise. I don't think we probably have a lot of Jews in this room. Um, so I'd say for most of you, you are a Gentile, which means that you are not part of Israel. You are not part of the Jewish nation, which means that this good news, because of Paul is going out to the nations, because God wants to include the Gentiles in that, you are recipients of that. That is part of your good gift. But I think if you're like me, sometimes I forget that I was once the kid on the other side of the tracks. I was once the kid who was spiritually poor I was once the kid who had nothing before God came to me and gave me Jesus Christ, and all of those riches are mine now. And I know I forget that sometimes because sometimes I like to hoard all those blessings for myself. I like to keep the gospel for myself. But the very nature of the gospel is it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be brought to the nations. When Jesus gives his disciples the instruction, it's like go everywhere to all nations. 
Not, not just where you're at right now, but go to everybody. Everybody needs to receive this good news. Until the gospel becomes good news to us, we'll never share it. Paul begins this message by labeling himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but halfway through this, he transitions into being a minister of the gospel. In verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So in verse 9, you get what we've been talking about, this mystery that all of a sudden God is including everyone, every nation, every people, man or woman, slave or free, everyone is included in this gospel. That is a mystery that's being revealed. But Paul says that, that his message and him being a minister is delivered to twofold. In verse 8, you see that he is a, a minister of, of the gospel. To me, though I was the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's not just this mystery here, because this mystery does not exist without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is a minister of the unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. And I love those words, unsearchable. You know, I think of unsearchable, you kind of have this thing in your mind like, okay, we're on a treasure hunt, but for some reason we can never find this treasure because it's, it's unsearchable. That's not what this is saying at all. This is saying like we found the treasure and when we found it, we can't see the end of it. It just keeps going on and on. It is bigger than we ever thought. It was, it's deeper than, than we ever thought. This treasure is, is absolutely unsearchable. It's deeper and greater than you ever thought that it was. When I was a kid, um, on the back of our toilet, we had a, a giant seashell. And um, I had been on this trip to Florida with my parents, but they brought back the seashell, which you can't actually find giant seashells in Florida, so they probably bought it in a gift shop. But as a little kid, um, even though I was on this trip, I didn't remember it, but they, they told me, he said, if you hold this seashell up to your ear, you will hear the ocean. Have you ever done that? Sounds like you're just in a big echoey room, and I was like, what in the world is this ocean? It, it sounds hollow to me. But as a kid, I would get this picture of what the ocean was really like by holding that seashell up to my ear. And I still remember the way that seashell sounded. But I want you to think about this. Pretend like I go to school and they're teaching about the ocean and some of the other kids are like, you know, we, we grew up in Wisconsin, so we've never seen the ocean. Is it, is it kind of like the, the lake at Vilas? I mean, is that like the beach area? Is that the ocean? And I say, and I'm like, let me tell you all about it because I have a seashell on the back of our toilet and I hear the ocean. So let me tell you about the ocean. I mean, that'd be kind of ridiculous, right? Well, one day, I went back to the ocean, and I remember standing there and just looking at it, and it was so much bigger and so much greater than I ever imagined. It just kept going on and on and on, and I had a deeper understanding of what the ocean really was. But then one day, I got in an airplane, and I flew over the Atlantic Ocean. I flew all the way to England, and going hundreds of miles an hour, I flew for hours in this airplane, and the ocean kept going on and on and on. It was bigger than I ever imagined. But even if you're a scuba diver and you want to go down and you want to explore the depths of the ocean, you can never get to parts, even if they put you in one of those, like, cages. You cannot go deep enough to explore all the ocean. It is that big. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. The gospel is the ocean. 
No matter how big you think it is, it is always bigger than you thought it was. No matter how great you thought it is, it is always greater. And Paul says, it's unsearchable. You can search and explore these things for the rest of your life. You will never understand the depths of the gospel. It is that big. You know, I think for some of us, when we come into confrontation with the gospel, and all of a sudden we believe and something clicks, and we're like, okay, I get it. I am a sinner, and because of Jesus Christ, I am forgiven of my sins. We say, that's it. That's the gospel. I get it now. I understand the gospel. But what you don't understand is that is like holding a seashell up to your ear. It is just a very basic entry into this good news that is unsearchable. These promises and riches of Jesus Christ, you'll never reach the bottom of it. No matter you can study the gospel for the rest of your life, you will never get the depths of the gospel. That's how deep it is. That might sound intimidating, but for me that is just good news because it just shows like no matter how much I trust in Jesus, no matter how much I follow him, no matter how much I think I understand the gospel, it is always going to be greater than I think it is in this lifetime because that's how big and loving and merciful and wonderful God is. God's riches are unsearchable. Paul spends the first two chapters of Ephesians unpacking this gospel. And we really could just sit here and read it because it is astounding. But yet, he doesn't really scratch the surface of all the gospel is, does he? There's still so much more to it. The preaching of Christ's unsearchable riches and the mystery, it's not just on Paul. Paul turns it and he says, you know what? This is now the responsibility of the church. This people from all nations, it's now their job to make the manifold wisdom of God known in all the world. This new church, this new family that is united to Christ and united to each other is responsible for making this good news known to all the nations. Let me just say this. This is just kind of my, my final push for you guys. I think a good place for us to start when... I don't want you to be overwhelmed when you think about the unsearchable riches of Christ. But a good place to start is to explore the unsearchable riches of Christ. The more you understand how deep the rabbit hole goes, the more it's going to change your heart to propel you to share this good news. I love that quote from Vanderstelt, because until it becomes good news for us, we are never going to share the gospel with other people. The more you explore it, the more you understand how deep and how great it is, the more real and the more good it's going to become to you. And when that happens, you will have no other choice. It will just flow from your lips. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you're sent out. And I think about Paul's situation right here, like being a prisoner of the Lord and still being uh, rejoicing in that. The gospel can actually make you say, you know what, my family, they disagree with me. I'm okay with that. I'm going to go off and I'm going to follow Jesus anyways because this is the best news I've ever received. It might say, you know what, I, I might lose my job one day because this good news might separate. It might even cause you to be persecuted or put in prison yourself because the gospel becomes such good news for us. So that's my charge to you, 
explore the depths of the gospel. Try to understand how unsearchable his riches are for you. And I can guarantee you, as it transforms your heart and changes you, it will send you out, and all nations will know how wonderful the gospel is. Let's pray. Father, as sinners, we come before you, and we're just humbled by how much you love us and how much mercy you have in store for us. We don't deserve what you have given us, but you have given us so much. We are grateful for the inheritance we receive in you. We are grateful for being reconciled to you. We are grateful that we are reconciled to all peoples who are in you, that we are one in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will make the gospel real to us, that it will just penetrate our hearts in new ways, that we will constantly grow in this good news. And may this good news be known among the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.